Hi. <laughs> it's Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm here with my friend James. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? Oh, yeah? Wow. <laughs> That's so interesting. Huh. Well, I'd love to hear more, but now we're going to start the episode. Yes. This is episode 39 of the Zero Brightness podcast. Wow. We're now interactive. This is also basically live because we're recording it pretty late Sunday night and we're going to put it out Monday morning. So <laughs> anything could happen, you know. You're welcome, everybody. We could get a musical guest. We could have some swears slip by the FCC, you know, like we just don't wow. know. Yeah. Why? I thought they shut that down. Oh, you know. Budget reasons. They will, right after they finish with Iran. <laughs> yeah, well, they gotta spend all that money on bombs. Yeah. God bless us all, America. <laughs> God bless us all. America. Yup. Bless us. So anyway, um, this episode <laughs> uh, uh, is brought to you by you. You can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up and help support the show and uh, help support two pieces of leftist trash keep talking about horror video games. <laughs> we will... I promise this money will not go to Lockheed Martin. I promise. <laughs> I am really bummed I didn't buy that Lockheed Martin, Martin stock for Christmas, though. Oh, yeah. True. Fuck. Yeah. My <laughs> uncle told me to. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> My uncle who works at Nintendo told me to. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, and as always, Zero Brightness is a game club. At the end of the episode, we tell you what we are playing so that you can play along with us in the comfort of your own home. And you can even jump in our Discord and talk to us about it. Full disclosure, I haven't been in there much this week. I've been kind of busy, like, you know. Me and the regulars have been holding it down. Yeah, for sure. I just look on <laughs> silently, single tear rolling down my cheek. Just, just check in every once in a while. Yeah. Check out the memes. It's so beautiful. It's so great. So, Resident Evil 7. It's a big game. It was a big deal. It was a super big deal. Um, man, like when this came out, like when, when the hype started, it was uh, it was palpable in the gaming community. Uh, especially when they put out the uh, Resident Evil 7 beginning hour demo. I played that and like my hype levels were off the thermometer. It was just so sick. It took everything that was cool about PT demo you know, and threw in this like Outlast vibe too. Yeah. And but it was still Resident Evil. You know. Yeah. So totally. cool. Yeah. Well, and you know, this game even before it came out was viewed as like a return to form from a series that had gone like super far astray. Right. <laughs> Punching rocks and shit. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about the sort of whole Resident Evil series and how these games are developed in the very first episode of this show. Um, but yeah, basically these games all have very weird development cycles. They're really highly iterative, you know, 
um they seem to bleed spinoffs and just weird <laughs> pseudo sequels and yeah by the time resident evil 6 had come out i think that's you know that was kind of the bottom that was rock bottom for resident evil <laughs> not just because that game is like supposedly an unholy mess uh, full disclosure i haven't played it but mm-hmm. it looks like a mess <laughs> we've all seen the memes yeah but you know even around that time there were other like a ton of spin-offs and side games and i even played some of those um and they just weren't good you know mm. so it was really crazy to see them just sort of accept that the confidence in the series was at zero and just try and make something new and cool so it's it's definitely a return to form but also it's just so wildly different than every other resident evil game beforehand right you it's know? you know we we've talked about this in the past where resident evil really likes to both reinvent itself and pay tribute to past games in the series Mm -hmm. like you know resident evil remake the resident evil 2 remake this game resident evil 4 i mean there's all these like wild reinventions in the series but they also all have like the same story arc the same type of progression there's tons of stuff that carries over even when the systems and the visuals and things like that change completely which is very very true of re7 yeah, even just nuts and bolts stuff like inventory management and things like the magical uh, item chest that goes everywhere with you. You know, those sort of things are like deeply ingrained into it. But at the same time, it's so different because, well, one, it's in first person. Yeah. So that completely changes um, the level of fear that the player is just like subject to because everything's just right in your face. Yeah, and this was also the first game in VR, which is apparently great. Neither of us have played it. True. Uh, one day, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I have friends with VR rigs. I could at least go try it, but I play the first hour, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not motivated. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know, and, and partially it's because this game just works really well without it. Mm-hmm. Like, so the move to first person is both, you know, really good and uh, a callback to the past, you know, because the original Resident Evil supposedly was envisioned as a first person game. Mm. So it is sort of something uh, that like was sort of in the original design of the first Resident Evil, but you know, clearly couldn't have been pulled off with the hardware at the time. So, you know, they're returning to that idea, but yeah, it's also a huge shift for the game. It makes it play completely differently. And yeah, it makes the scares totally, totally different in this game. And it can't be understated. um, The influence that outlast and PT demo have on this game. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, Resident Evil 2 and 3 had a little bit of the hide em up type thing, just with, like, Nemesis and Mr. X. You just had to run from them. But this one had you, like, like in a panic, like, running away and hiding from people, you know? So Yeah. Well, and it's interesting with this game, just in general, it really seems to be one of the few Resident Evil games that's, like, really self-aware. I think mm. that... 
uh, Resident Evil has always been really self-referential. You know, by the time they got to Resident Evil 6, it was like they had taken the self-referential thing to its logical conclusion, which was just like a hot mess. And at the same time, they weren't really pulling from anything outside of their own series. Like, Mm, even when, you know, like reinventing the series as like action games, it's so bizarre. And it's in this way that you're just like, where did this even come from? But Resident Evil 7, yeah, clearly draws inspiration from things that were going on around it. Like you said, the two big points of inspiration seem to be PT, the uh, playable teaser for the canceled Silent Hills game, and uh, Outlast, which we've talked about before. But even just in general, having it be a first-person, largely exploration and hiding base horror experience shows that they were aware of what was going on in the world around them you know like they weren't just Mm -hmm. getting high on their own supply and just like huffing (laughs) glue under the stairs of like capcom high school like they were actually looking outside and being like oh this is a thing that's going on let's do our own version of it right also the first half of the game really has nothing to do with the Resident Evil series as a whole. Yeah. So I think that disconnection from the series and it sort of like playing coy with itself for the first half of the game uh, is really successful. And plus the first half of the game is like some of the best Resident Evil gaming there is. So, yeah, I agree. And it's, it's once again, it's something that feels fresh, but that they've actually done before because Resident Evil four has a plot that's largely structured in the same way where like Mm -hmm. even though it has leon kennedy the story has nothing to do with raccoon city or umbrella or any of that the enemies aren't even zombies anymore like Mm -hmm. but then in the game's final moments you know they they shove a hot document in your in your face that you know it's like (laughs) oh wesker Mm, yeah. you know shakes fist at sky sort of vibe mm-hmm. but it's it's pretty bad well it's contentious some people love that some people love the ending to this game and we'll get to it but yeah uh, i think we're gonna have a bit of a differing opinion on that one yeah i just feel like the umbrella story has been over for so long like the logical conclusion to the umbrella story was basically at the end of resident evil 3 I don't really know why they kept going with it. You can see that it's nonsensical based on the leaps and bounds that they had to make to try and keep the story going, you know, including making an awful like CG movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's so ridiculous that to me, it's like, dude, just drop it. And RE7 seemed like a good time to just drop it, but. Yeah. You know what they say, you can lead a horse to water, but Capcom will just <laughs> keep making these games. I don't know if it's just because the game is in first person, but it really seems like they did a lot of work packing each area with details. Mm. Um, I feel like the environmental storytelling in this one is just leaps and bounds above previous games. Um, yeah. Just walking around uh, the Baker household and just like absorbing the atmosphere, looking at all the photos. Um, yeah, it tells a lot without shoving a lot of notes in your face. Yeah, 
I totally agree with that. I think the atmosphere and the vibe of this game are like super amazing. Um, the graphics are great, like the quality of them is great, but the design is even more impressive. You know, you get mm-hmm. a ton of great visuals, a ton of great rooms. You know, you get things that are packed with little clues and details, and they all serve to sort of like pique your interest in the story. Um, it has a really great atmosphere. It's got a really unexpected vibe. I think the thing that really struck me about this game, um, when I originally played it and replaying it now, was that it's just like so American. Like absolutely, yeah. They really nail that Southern Gothic thing, which is funny because mm-hmm. this game came out around the same time as Outlast Two, which went for that, and I think like totally biffed it, like. <laughs> they just did not get the vibe, but this game did, you know? Well, more importantly, it came out a little after a little show called True Detective Season 1. Yeah, for sure. Which I think had, uh, heavily influenced it. But we'll talk about all the TV and film references later, because I caught a ton of them. Yeah. And uh, it's this game is such a love letter to like horror, film, and TV. Um, we we'd be remiss not talking about it. Yeah, for sure. But it, it's it's also just striking because it's in the history of the series. It comes out of nowhere. Well, right. they've always tried to cater towards Western audiences, and even I think with the bad games, they're catering towards um, players that like action games. You know. Uh, Americans love shooter games, first-person shooter military games, you know, shit like that. Yeah. So I think this is just, like, a different way of appealing to Western audiences. Um, Yeah. Because this is just straight horror warship, you know? Yeah, I I guess you're right. It's almost like the old ones were pulling from 80s and 90s action movies to sort of describe a vision of America, whereas this one is pulling from more recent more artsy cooler sources (laughs) you know what i mean well yeah but you know texas chainsaw massacre was a long time ago yeah but it it just it just feels more current i guess yeah it's like when your friend's dad has like a just a bar rock band and it's like (laughs) very like kind of like dated but then like your friend has a bar rock band but it's like kind of cool you know no, I don't know what that's like. Oh, okay. <laughs> bar rock. Bar rock, dude. Bar bands? You don't have bar bands in Texas? Oh, we do. Yeah. Not very far from Austin. Oh, yeah. Isn't that like the, the ancestral homeland of the bar band? <laughs> yeah. Just white dudes with dreads playing bar rock. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. No, I, no, I can't even joke about that. That's disgusting. <laughs> I hate it when white people have dreadlocks. It's the worst. <laughs> Austin, Texas, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Some other like nuts and bolts stuff that that are like improvements for me. Uh, there's no ink ribbons. Thank fucking God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can save anytime you want. And there's a retry option in the pause menu. That is really cool because like you don't even get sent back to uh, the tape player, which is what you save with. A lot of times you'll just get brought back to like a checkpoint. To like yes. a door you opened, uh, it's so helpful in saving the player's time. Yeah, uh, the checkpointing is crucial. 
Yeah. And then there's other stuff, like uh, the game adds steroids, which makes you take less damage permanently, mm-hmm. and stabilizers, which help, I think, your like reload speed permanently. So there's like permanent uh, upgrade items, too, which are really cool. Yeah, for sure. The game definitely has a progression that's a little more subtle and a little more sensible over the original games which mm-hmm. were basically just giving you bigger and bigger and bigger weapons until you were just like uh, having a rocket launcher in a police station, you know, which is just like ridiculous. Also, you know, I know the whole like herb thing has always been kind of ridiculous, but I absolutely love how stupid like the healing potions are in this game. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just like singed and burned to death or something and you just like pour this water on your hands and you're better. Yeah, holy water. So good. Yeah, well, you know, you, you get, um, there's a amputation in this game, so you can get your arm or leg chopped off. Yeah. And then you just pour some water on it, and it comes back, and you're better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very outlast. So speaking of the weird stuff, I mean, the game's not perfect. Uh, and so just to outline some of the bad stuff, uh, the theme song is, like, the most atrocious, like, who came up with this? <laughs> it's like an old folk song that they turned into like I don't even know how to describe it. It sounds like Evanescence. The band Evanescence. <sighs> yes. Yeah. It's bad. Uh Bring Aunt Rody to life. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Kill it with fire. Yeah, it's really funny. It's like a new metal butt rock version of an old folk song. I mean, it would have been creepier if they just put in the original recording because it's a creepy old song. Yeah. Well, see, know. what's funny is that the first time I played it, I was like, man, this is fucking bad. And this time I like sort of didn't care because after Man of Medan's both butt rock and like shitty rap versions of <laughs> Oh Death, like beat me into submission, I'll basically accept anything over that. Yeah. Anyways. Okay, moving on. Uh, some textures are, like, really bad, and it's really weird because, like, some of them look amazing. But then, like, really early in the game, you'll, like, look at some, like... Like, I'm thinking about, like, the van. There's a van you look at real early in the game, and it just looks really bad, and it's out of place. Like, I don't know. It's just weird coming from a really pretty game, how some of the uh, visuals are lopsided. Yeah, I mean, it's a couple years old now. I think that it's definitely... Yeah, it's mostly because the game is still so impressive looking in places mm, that yeah. some of the other places are like, oh, yeah, this game's a couple years old now. Um, I found that the guns sounded really bad. Like, there's no, like, impact to them. Like, you're shooting in hallways and you, like, I don't know. It's not percussive at all. Sure. Kind of nitpicking. But, but the sound design is so great. Besides that, I feel like the gun sounds really stuck out. Yeah, I think that's more of a larger discussion about the combat. Because I didn't notice that about the sound, but I definitely noticed that about the feel of combat being like kind of wonk. So I think it could have a little bit of both. But yeah, I see what you're saying. So the intro to this game has a ton of um, like first person cutscenes. Like it's very like on a linear path, and they want you. They want to make sure you're looking at these things while they happen. And uh, there's a there's several parts of that that have this like forced VR 
looking feel. Like yeah. uh, there, there's a scene where there's a knife in your face. And it reminds me of that scene from like Friday the 13th 3D where they do like the same exact thing. Um, it just came off as like, okay, this is where you put your 3D glasses on. You know? Yeah, totally. Well, and if you've seen any 3D movie more recently in the theaters, like the bad ones have a lot of that. One, I've only actually seen two 3D movies. One of them was an accident, uh, but it ended up being cool, which was Paranorman. Have you seen that movie? Mm, no. Oh, my God. Paranorman fucking rips, dude. You have to watch that movie. Is it like a CGI movie? Yeah. Like well, it, I don't know how they made it. It is CG, but it looks like claymation. Mm. Like it's got that texture to it and it's super cool. And the 3D actually just ended up adding like a little bit of depth to the visuals. And it was actually really neat. Like it wasn't like essential, but I didn't mind it. Uh, but that movie's amazing, by the way. As as I've mentioned before, I am a connoisseur of kids horror, and that's basically <laughs> like the finest S tier kids horror. Paranormal really? rips, S-tier. yeah, dude, it's incredible, great movie. Um, but uh, the other one I saw was the terrible Silent Hill sequel, the Silent Hill something. I can't remember. What it's oh, called. that was a 3D movie. Yeah, <laughs> and like. It was so. I mean, that movie is like just atrocious. Like it's just irredeemably awful. But also, it's just got these horrible three D segments where like so a nurse shoves like a scalpel at you, or like pyramid oh, head nice. shoves a knife at you, and it's like it's stupid in three D, but in two D, it's like really stupid. <laughs> I've only seen one three D movie in theaters, uh-huh. and that was Jackass. And it was amazing. What? Yeah. Jackass 3 was in 3D. And so you could watch like a dude's dick flopping around in 3D. Oh, nice. Well, there you it was go. great. Never got into mm. that. Closest I got was Tony Hawk's Underground, <laughs> which is basically Jackass the game. Hold on. I did see another 3D movie, which was the weird 3D Michael Jackson movie that they used to have at Disney World. <laughs> oh, no. It was cool. Oh. I mean, wow. before it got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, people still listen to that, man. Like, it's like, people have Michael Jackson blinders up. I yeah. don't get it. It's, yeah, I've, I've noticed that too. But you'll also <laughs> still see dudes on motorcycles blasting R. Kelly, so I don't fucking know. <laughs> okay, anyways. My last gripe <laughs> is that there's just like a, a huge lack of enemy variety. Um, yeah, there isn't any. There's like one it's, enemy. It's just all moldy dudes. Yeah. There's like variations on the moldy dudes, but that's about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess like for me, Resident Evil 7 is a really weird game. I guess if I was going to just lob a hot take about it right out the gate, uh, I would say that it's kind of a parlor trick. Like they Mm. made a game that's kind of full of all of the standard Resident Evil bullshit that everybody was sick of, but... They they had a really great aesthetic, and they front loaded it with really crazy, subversive, unexpected stuff. You know, yeah. So it's almost mm-hmm. like the you get through that, and then the rest of the game is just like the weird sour chaser. Like for that, <laughs> it's almost like there's actually a lot of stuff in this game that you could be annoyed with or shit on because the game is kind of weird and uneven. Yeah, well, I mean, the first three to four hours of this game 
are a 10 out of 10. Yeah. And then, you know, the second half is probably a 6 or 7 out of 10. Yeah. And I'm totally okay, like, giving it those scores, like, at, at the beginning of the episode, because it's just interesting to talk about this game like that. No, I, I totally agree. I think it's it's almost like you have to acknowledge that when you talk about this game, because the first and second parts of it are super different. And also, once again, it's like everybody loved this game when it came out, not just because <laughs> yeah. the beginning of it is perfect. It's also because the series had gone so far into the shitter. And <laughs> for a lot of us, it's like Resident Evil is like one of your favorite series. It's like you don't want it to do bad. So it's giving you a little bit. And so you're like, yes. Yes, like this is so great. And it's really weird to go back to it, especially after Resident Evil 2, which I think is the Resident Evil 2 remake is like the legitimate like 10 out of 10 that the series Mm. was capable of making in its, you know, current era. Yeah. And after playing that and going back to Resident Evil 7, it's kind of weird because it's like, oh, this is not that actually it's bolder it's more daring it's definitely more striking but also parts of it are just complete trash (laughs) i don't know if i'll be that brutal to it i wouldn't i I don't know if i'd go with it being complete trash but it, it goes from being extraordinary to very uh middling yeah you know that's that's what i mean and it's that's kind of the most striking thing about it but it's yeah it's the sort of thing that the first time i played it i clocked all of that but i just didn't fucking care because i was like so happy there was a new resident evil and that it wasn't complete and utter garbage (laughs) true well i think before we get into the meat of the game we should talk about all of the tv and film references that it has sure because it's um kind of insane how much it takes from other media right um so you know the two big ones uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Evil Dead uh one and two Mm -hmm. um I think we'll get into these after because I have a, a little bit of a lightning round here at the beginning of like smaller things it cops a lot visually from the first season of True Detective. Mm-hmm. I think this goes not just from like uh, the setting, which looks like um, the Baker Mansion kind of looks like Carcosa from True Detective, which yeah. is like a, a big mansion. Not only does it cop that, but uh, I, I feel like the color palette does too, especially at the uh, beginning and intro of the game. And there are also a couple uh, driving shots where it's like helicopter shots looking down at the car, which are just like ripped straight from True Detective. Yeah, the beginning is kind of the only time it's like in daylight. And when it's in daylight, it definitely has a similar color palette to True Detective. Yeah, yeah. And just the general like occulty Southern Gothic vibe. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, uh, there's a killer kid, you know, just like the ring or fire starter. Um, And then there's also the videotapes that kind of like are real life, kind of like the ring. Yeah, big ring vibes from the killer kid and the videotapes. The scenario designer, uh, Morimasa Sato, 
said that uh, Jack, like the main antagonist for the first half of the game, is sort of based on Jack Torrance from The Shining. Yeah. Especially on the way that he kind of like verbally berates you and yeah. chases you with an axe. And bursts through walls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a big chunk of the game sort of based on like uh, Saw, like the whole game thing. Um, the crime scenes from Seven were a big influence, according to the scenario designer also. Yeah. Um, well, we're covering the game, so of course it's influenced by Seven. <laughs> do, I guess I need to go back and watch that movie because I haven't watched it in probably 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, the VHS tapes that you play feel so much like uh, found footage, like Blair Witch Project. Yeah. And they make them like really, uh, they, they work really well because they're just like so immersive. Yeah, totally. Um, and there's all just a bunch of little things like, there's a password for a door lock that's 1408, which is a book by Stephen King in a movie. So yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the lightning round, and then uh, our, well, so we can get to the Evil Dead references. <laughs> Ethan's car looks just like Ash's car from Evil Dead. Huh. I didn't know this. Um, uh, they changed it a little bit. Same color, kind of like same uh, hood style, things like that. Yeah. Um. The cabin at the beginning of the game, which is called the uh, the guest house of the Baker Mansion, uh, it feels so much like the Evil Dead Two cabin. Yeah, for sure. And there's even like the swing out front that swings and stops. So the part of the story at the beginning of the game was that um, there's a film crew at the guest house and they disappear. In their van, you find a piece of paper that says "Join us," which is like, okay, Evil Dead, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> One of the first antagonists in the game, uh, this girl is basically a deadite, and she fights you like the deadites fight in Evil Dead One or Two. Like, yeah, she'll be like an evil zombie and then have like super strength and throw you across the room, like just like Ash's girlfriend would do to Ash. Yeah. And then as, as if you would like hurt her. She would turn human again and like guilt Ash or like lull Ash into feeling safe. And then she'd turn evil again and attack Ash. Yeah. Know? Also, just like the weird, like cartoony B movie way that she charges at you with her arms yeah. out. Really, totally. very deadite. <laughs> yeah. Deadite AF. Um, yeah. Uh, she cuts off his hand just <laughs> like an evil dead. Yeah. Um, uh, can we say just the general, uh, like, glut of chainsaw stuff in this game? Yeah. Jack grabs a chainsaw at one point and says groovy. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that's, that's the Evil Dead stuff. Even before that, like, there's just so much chainsaw stuff yeah. in this game, you know? Yeah, there's one point, like, Mia goes around a corner and grabs a chainsaw out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so th there are some parts in this game where it jumps the shark and it takes you out of it for a minute but it but then it puts you right back into it and it's uh kind of magical how it can put you back into it you mm -hmm. know so weird anyways uh chainsaw massacre um if you've ever, ever seen texas chainsaw massacre there's a uh infamous uh dinner table scene yeah where the girl is tied up and the whole family is around the dinner table, like feeding her all this like maggoty meat and stuff. 
that's in the game. Like, yeah. They didn't they even try to hide it. Yeah. And that has a, a corny kind of like uh, one of those 3D moments where they're sticking something in your face with your VR headset. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, of course, chainsaws. Uh, and yeah, the whole... Um, this game has that cool kind of like unhinged family unit thing where like each member of the family like has a role in the whatever's going on right kind of like tcm yeah well and also yeah as you have noted here just like the setup of them kind of living in this house that's like an inversion of like a sort of family manner like it's totally degraded and full of disgusting shit and Mm -hmm. they've all completely lost their minds like it just the whole thing is like super texas chainsaw the first especially like 30 40 minutes of the game it's like texas chainsaw the game yeah it it jumps back and forth between evil dead and texas chainsaw yeah it just hits those notes so hard yeah all right so let's talk about the setup um like you're a guy named ethan just like generic white guy yeah uh devoid of personality he uh he gets a weird like Skype call from his wife that's been missing for three years. Mia. Yeah. Uh and apparently she's like at this like crazy fucking house in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana. And you end up at this uh nasty old shack that looks like Evil Dead 2. Um you go inside and you're stuck there. And it's freaky as hell. Um <laughs> Yeah. This is the area from the demo of the game, but things have been sort of rearranged. Um, so it, it was kind of interesting to play that demo like 40 times and then go in, in, into playing like the retail release of the game because things did change around quite a bit. This part of the game is like eerily quiet, and you're really just like solving a couple simple puzzles around the house, which is like really cool, just like building up, you know? Eventually, uh, you watch a tape which has that film crew uh, show how like they got kind of like um, attacked mysteriously, but it shows a, a a secret in the fireplace which you can then find, which gets you down to the basement. Um, and the basement's freaky as fuck. This part of the game it's like really scripted, but at the same time it's just really really effective in like building that sense of terror and horror. Yeah, I mean, I think that the best parts of this game are really linear. Uh, I think one thing that they took from other first-person horror games, and especially Outlast, is that if you're trying to make something that's tense and well-paced and is trying to like deliver the scares without just feeling like a haunted house full of jump scares, mm. it is best to keep things pretty linear and then let people wander just a little bit. Um, Yeah, the atmosphere in this part is really great. It's really dark. It's very oppressive. I think it just, it works really well because it almost goes against some of the basic impulses of a Resident Evil game. Like, Resident Evil 1 and 2 are really based on backtracking and exploration and opening up shortcuts and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think with this different take on it, this different kind of horror, it actually works really well for it to be super linear well this guest house is sort of a a little bit of a puzzle box but once you get into the basement uh you find mia 
and you start following her and she's talking about like daddy and shit and uh she she eventually leads you back up to where you started but then she turns into a deadite and starts attacking you right um you quote unquote kill her like ash from evil evil dead kills his girlfriend uh, but she ends up coming back, and sh- she's kind of unkillable. Th- this part of the game ends with you actually going out through the attic and trying to escape, but Jack kick, uh, knocks you out. Yeah. Um, and then you wake up in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre scene. <laughs> right. So after that, you're in the main house, and that's sort of the actual beginning of the game. You know, the guest house is sort of like the prologue. Um, but they, they do introduce a lot of the elements of the game. They introduce the videotapes, which, uh, like you alluded to earlier, they're basically little playable vignettes that show you an area that you're either in or you're going to be in shortly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they all contain clues to puzzles that you're going to have to solve. So, for example, in that one, you see that there's a hidden lever in the fireplace that opens the door to the basement right yeah so then you go and do that and you get to progress but the game does keep bringing these back um and they all show you the solution to something you're going to have to like deal with later that first one is the coolest because it actually makes sense um i feel like the the tapes later on don't make any sense at all and it makes me wonder yeah. why the hell those people are holding the camera or even how they're holding the camera. <laughs> well, even in the first one, you go down a ladder and you see both of dude's hands. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, he either has a giant steady cam rig like on a vest or what, you know, it's like, yeah, the, you know, some of the stuff in this game replaying it. Like I said, I started to feel like a lot of stuff in this game is kind of a parlor trick because when you replay it, you see that like, Oh yeah, the seams are a little more apparent here, but the videotapes yeah. are a cool idea. I don't know how much yeah. I actually love them, you know. Like I think it's done better in other games um mm. that I've played, you know, the same kind of idea. I will say that videotape number 1 is the coolest one. Uh just because yeah. it sets up some other characters that you never interact with in the game. But due to world building, uh, that cameraman that you're playing as in videotape number one comes back later. I feel like so. they could have just done only that videotape and not the other ones, and it may have been <laughs> cool. No, it is funny. Like what the first time you play one, you go down a ladder and you see both of his hands. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so okay, so you're in the main house. You're eating dinner with this family. There's the old man, his wife their tweaker son and this like old lady in a wheelchair, which is just like grandpa from Chainsaw Massacre. Um, really cool. Really creepy. A cop shows up. So the family like goes and like fucks off to deal with this cop or something. And so it's just you and grandma, but like the tension is super high because you know, like the family can be like right outside the door. So you're kind of like scrambling, looking around for items seeing if there's like anything helpful that you can get your hands on. Jack ends up finding you and like stalking you and eventually um, like knocking you down and chopping your leg off, which he then like ceremoniously like gives you a healing item so you can repair your chopped off leg immediately. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, you've already had your hand cut off and just like stapled back on in our phone. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but it's it's kind of a weird thing in this game that I I understand there could be a plot justification for, but it also doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you end up escaping through a crawl space into a laundry room, and it's like, oh, thank God. I'm finally hearing the Resident Evil, like, chill, save room music. Yeah. And Maybe it's like washing your face meme. Maybe my favorite in the series. It's very, it's really very good. good. Like, yeah, it might be the best one. It sounds a lot like the easy pick for the best one, which is that one from the first game that has that real, like, high mm-hmm. kind of spooky synth and the low, like, harp arpeggio. Uh, it sounds like that, but it's just solo guitar, and it sounds like it's on an old cassette tape. Ooh, yes. Man. Chills. Yeah, that, so that tape flutter. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, and so this is kind of where the game opens up a little bit. Um, Jack is, like, sort of actively stalking you, but he's going through the whole house. And it's kind of randomized whether if you're gonna, if he's going to pop up and attack you or not. Right. Yeah, and you can creep around the house and, you know, try and progress and try and solve puzzles, but he is stalking you. And he is for kind of this whole section of the game yeah so the point in this part is to actually get into the garage and um you have like no weapons or anything but um the sheriff pops up and gives you a pocket knife which lets you get into the garage with that knife and then (laughs) uh you're you're just like given this like insane scene where jack like cuts the cop's head in half and it's just like maniacally trying to kill you in the garage. And yeah. this boss fight is like one of the most like legendary boss fights of Resident Evil. Um, cause this is where you kind of f- figure out that Jack is basically unkillable. Um, he's just like stalking you and there's like nothing you can do. There's a gun, but it's useless. Um, you end up like grabbing these car keys and jumping into this car in the garage and like running him over repeatedly. And then when you think he's dead, he gets up and he like starts attacking you again. Uh, it's so freaky. Yeah. And there's so many like fake out deaths. I think he fake dies twice. Yeah. Well, and it also at some point just becomes like a barely playable cutscene, basically. Yeah. Which is actually really cool. Like he jumps on the car and he just starts making you drive into things. And like one of them seemingly kills him and it doesn't actually <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, the freakiest thing is, like, when you're about to leave the room, he gets up again and, like, grabs your gun and, like, blows his own brains out with your hand. Yeah. It's it's really fucked up. It's really fucked up. And once again, it's super linear. It's basically a cutscene, and it's kind of why it works so well. Like, I don't really know how else you would deliver that kind of scene in a video game without just taking away control of the player. Um, I think that's like what I really like about this whole first section of the game is that it takes away control from you. You know, it's something that we've talked about on the show a lot that with horror games, you're either given the choice to empower the player like you would in a traditional game over time, or you're given the choice to completely disempower them. 
Um, I think Resident Evil 7, like we said before, it has it both ways, but they're at different times. And when it's totally disempowering you, I think it's way more cool. After this part, you can get into the main foyer of the house. And then you have like a lot more freedom into where you could go. Um, you can go explore upstairs. There's a basement. Um, this is where the game opens up a lot. There's that classic shotgun puzzle right in the foyer. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome. Yeah, it's like the same as the original Resident Evil where you need a replica shotgun. Yeah, there's a few hidden things in this game, like upgraded weapons and various things like that. It's pretty cool. Um, It gives it a little bit more of an open-ended feel in terms of the progression and increasing your character. But it still avoids being like, you know, (laughs) the cursed quote-unquote RPG elements that end up in everything. Like, it's not. It's still just item-based progression. So it it becomes pretty clear at this point that the goal is to get out of the house. And, of course, there's, like, a a thing on the front door with, like, three dog heads. So you have to collect the three dog heads to get out of the house. Uh, You can sort of get these and you can get the first two in either order you want. Um, But then the third one is another boss fight, which kind of jumps the shark. But I I feel like this part of the game where it opens up, I think it really kicks up the whole atmospheric storytelling thing. Um, There's so many rooms with tons of detail. Um, It's just so lush. It really feels like a livable place. But it's like a livable place with Resident Evil-style doors and shit. Like, oh, the scorpion key or whatever, you know? Yeah, there's, (laughs) there's doors with different theme keys, just like RE1. When you go in, the rooms have this kind of rustic cabin meets ornate mansion feel to them. There's a lot of little items laying around, environmental details, you know, like there's a locked door that you can go into and it's someone's creepy little bedroom and it has like things you can just look at and interact with and it has, you know, items that you'll need that are crucial. Um it's it's very cool and there still isn't really combat yet like you get quite a ways in before you actually have to fight anything so if you go into the basement that's the first time you meet the molded Mm -hmm. which are basically like goopy black humanoids uh that take a lot of bullets to take down yeah they're basically like crude oil monsters yeah (laughs) So at this point, you could either go upstairs and check out the second floor or into the basement. Um, For some reason, the basement is, like, really fucked up. (laughs) Like, there's, like, a morgue and an incinerator room and a big boiler room and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really make much sense why any of that's there. Yeah. Uh, I still have questions about that. (laughs) But it's a really creepy space. Uh, And... uh, Yeah, it's freaky as fuck, like, the first time you play through it. Yeah, and even, like, the first time you go into the basement and see the moldeds, it's it's cool. It's, like, a cool moment because they are freaky looking. Um, And in the right environment, they're super scary. But then you realize that they're the only enemy in the game. (laughs) Yeah, and they do that cool Resident Evil thing to where, like, oh, you know, you got to open, like, the morgue locker 
with the corpse in it. And I'm like, oh, a molded pops out and scares the shit out of you. Yeah. Like, classic Resident Evil. Yeah. It's a great basement. And I'll, once again, it also works because the game has had this very linear progression thus far where you haven't been fighting anything. You've had a gun for a while, but it's been useless for the most part. It's pretty useless, yeah. Yeah, so when you encounter enemies, it has a good impact. And there's the second floor area. Granny's up there just hanging out. One thing that's cool in this section is that the grandma keeps disappearing. Like, she'll just be sitting somewhere, and if you walk away and come back, she'll be gone. Yeah. And so like, she's kind of like uh, this creepy little, like, mystery object that keeps disappearing and reappearing, which is really cool. I really like the horror in this part of the game, because it's either like you're being yeah. hunted by Jack, or you're being unnerved by the grandma, or you're being menaced by these, like, mysterious monsters that are in this mysterious basement. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. Jack's been leaving you alone for a while since the garage thing. But once you go into the bathroom, uh, Jack surprises you again. Motherfucker, like, grabs you and throws you out back out into the hallway. And then he's stalking you f- more for, th- for like, the next big chunk of the game. Yeah. And so it's, it's the same areas, but Jack is stalking you now. And you can hear him everywhere. Yeah. I feel, you know... Jack is clearly inspired by, like, Mr. X and Nemesis. But I really feel like, man, uh, RE7 was kind of, like, the prototype for the Resident Evil 2 remake Nemesis. Like, the incessant stalking and how unnerving that is. Like, they really nailed that with 7. Yeah, and I think it's probably the one thing that uh, 7 does a lot better than the RET remake, which is that, mm. like, it's so much scarier, partially because it's in first person, so you just can see less of what's around you. Yeah. Partially because he's so creepy and menacing. Like, he says creepy shit. He's like a creepy. Yeah, he's vocal. Yeah. yeah. Creepy old Southern guy. Like, it's just very, very unnerving. And he just, he also because he's more human than something like Mr. X, like he's scarier. Yeah. Because he doesn't just seem like a machine, even though he keeps coming back, like there's something more going on and it's really scary. Um, I think he's probably the best thing in the game. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to get you boy. (laughs) Yeah. Or if you pull out a gun and try to shoot him, he's like, that "That gun gun ain't going to work like like you think it is boy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and he's super mysterious too. Like, I think, you know, the thing with like, yeah, Mr. X or the tyrant or whatever, like, it's like, you know what it is. The game tells you what it is. It gives you documents telling you what it is. Like, oh, it's like a mutant, I guess. But with him, Mm -hmm. like, you don't know why he won't die. You don't know why he's so crazy and evil. You don't know why he still just looks like a person most of the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Something really mysterious. Yeah, he's he's definitely, I think, the best thing in the game. So you know, the goal for this area is to get outside. You eventually do, and you find that there's like a little, uh, like a trailer out front, and it's another safe space, and it's kind of like, like oh, finally, there's a place I can just fucking chill. Yeah. Um, I guess before b- before you can do that, uh, the game has to like super jump the shark. Um, you have to f- fight Jack for the quote unquote final time in the basement. And it ends up being like a chainsaw arena. 
Yeah. And it's just so corny and dumb. I feel like this is like the first de-evolution of the game before it, it starts devolving into madness. Yeah. It's basically like uh, equally inspired by Evil Dead and the Head Like a Hole music video. <laughs> like you're in like a Mad Max cage with this guy and you're having a chainsaw fight. Yeah. It's it's really stupid. <laughs> it is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that it's like weirdly difficult. I think that like I didn't really fully understand the mechanics behind it because it's like a different kind of combat. And it's one thing that I think the game isn't very good at, which is like as good as it is at presenting you with these linear horror experiences. Sometimes they decide to do like a set piece thing and mm. they throw in like a new gameplay element, like having to wield a chainsaw or having to block with it or whatever. And it's like, I didn't really like any of the stuff like that. Once you get out into the yard, the yard sort of becomes your second hub. This game's kind of weird because like the hubs keep growing. Like at first it's like the laundry room. And then your next hub is like the foyer in the house. And then the third hub ends up being this trailer, which leads, you know, either to the Baker residence um, where Jack's wife, Marguerite is, is called the old house, quote unquote. And that's kind of like right on the bayou. And then the third house, which is kind of like, I guess it's like an old barn, like half barn, half regular house. Yeah, there's a lot of square footage on this property. Yeah, well, and it's a lot like, uh, you know, any other Resident Evil game where you're just getting save rooms, basically. It's just that they don't all look like save rooms, you know, like the yard being like a quote unquote safe area. It has a room in it that is a save room because eventually they subvert that and enemies will actually enter into areas that you thought were safe. Mm -hmm. But like there's still a save room in there you know it's just also as you would expect like a little bit more open once again this game is very like self-aware it understands you know what gamers were expecting from a game in 2017 and it does try to deliver on that like it's a little bit more open it's way more cinematic it's got set pieces and like all this kind of shit that you would expect from a video game by anyone in 2017 but they're trying to make it fit into the resident evil mold mm-hmm. it really does too i mean like for all the the different ideas this game tries to do it's it's always like still in the resident evil form yeah for sure and yeah yeah even the progression of the game because like once again that opening is so shocking and different that you're like wow, what's going to happen next? And then once you start kind of decoding the house and getting new areas, you're like, oh yeah, I know what's going to happen next. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to find a couple more areas and I'm going to end up in a secret lab. <laughs> so, you know, I would argue that most of the best of the game is behind us at this point. Yeah, There's still a couple great scenes and great set pieces, but uh, most of the 10 out of 10 material is behind us at this point. Um, Going into the quote-unquote old house, I feel like you start being a bit more of a commando. 
I think by, yeah, by the end of this area, that's true. Although I really like the old house. It's super creepy and gross. It's like really waterlogged and destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It has like a lot of weird, you know, organic matter everywhere. And even initially when you get the flamethrower, it's basically just there to give you access to new rooms. Yes. Where you're like, right. you're burning away these sort of like insect hives that have cropped up everywhere. Um, which is cool because that's also like a thing you had to do in Resident Evil. So the first half of the old house is like margarita stalking you. And you're dealing with these new enemies, which are like swarms of bugs. And Marguerite controls these bugs. And she's like unstoppable like Jack too. I f the first time you get rid of her or get away from her and you can actually explore I feel like it just starts being scary again just because she's not there yeah I totally agree and she's a cool enemy she's like really crazy and like just like screeches all her lines and like is very unnerving you know like it's cool, but yeah, I mean, by the end of it, you are just, like, blowing her away with a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, total commando mode. Um, the second floor of the old house is really fucking freaky. Mm -hmm. Um, there's only, like, one or two molded bad guys in there, and they're in, like, dark spots, like, meant to scare the shit out of you. Yeah. Um, some paranormal stuff starts happening, because there's, like, a kid's room up on the second floor. Yeah. And so, like, a, a ball is rolling around, and there's just, like, a bunch of creepy kid stuff. Um, I f this is where the story starts getting pretty, like, Resident Evil also. Yeah. There's some sort of, like, umbrella-y things going on. Like, there's a specimen that you need parts of for a serum. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we didn't talk about Zoe at all. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. One thing we haven't mentioned at all uh, is a character that comes in very very early in the game which is zoe she's another member of this family who you don't see but you talk to on the phone she mm -hmm. up seems to be a normal person uh like she's Ish. yeah she's not crazy like they are but basically through her you find out that there is like a viral infection that you're trying to get like a serum for and yeah. that's like what the the goal of this area of the game. Now let's talk about this for a second because this is super weird. Um, I kind of like the idea of this general plot line being that there's these weird superhuman deadite like characters who have mm -hmm. this weird virus that just turns them into that. Like it makes them crazy and unkillable. Uh, and there's only what like if you count mia there's only like four of them 
Yeah. If you'd count yeah. Mia and you don't count the grandma, there's like four of them, right? <laughs> right. Like, I actually like the idea of that, but then once they're like, okay, you got to make the serum, and then like, oh, I don't know, maybe Umbrella did it. It's like, oh, come on, guys. Right. Like, right. make the serum. Don't make me make the serum. <laughs> well, because there's all this great atmospheric storytelling, too. Like, you're going around the house. You can tell they used to be a normal family, like, mm-hmm. years ago. But over the past couple years, shit's gotten really fucking weird. And, you know, like, all of a sudden, like, the the young son that was, like, kind of an engineering robotics whiz is, like, a sadist killer. Yeah. And, you know, like, Jack's, like, fucking following you around with an axe like The Shining. You know, like, that's interesting. Um, but, yeah, once it starts, like, umbrella-ing all the answers, the holes start to show up, you know? Yeah, well, and also, like, I don't know, just the premise of the game is weird because you're like, I got to find my wife. And then you, like, immediately kill her. And, like, your character doesn't really (laughs) seem to show a lot of emotion about that. And, like, you know, it sort of becomes a problem later where I'm just like, what is going on? And I think the early part of this game, I actually was in it to win it with the what is going on (laughs) vibe where I was like, okay, like I just don't understand this and that's cool. And then, yeah, once the plot started getting a little bit thicker, I was actually like, wait, is it cool? (laughs) Like (laughs) I'm actually not entirely sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I feel like the second house, the old house, quote unquote, it ends with a bang because you end up in the greenhouse and Margarita's like totally turned into this like insane spider lady. Yeah. With like long arms, long legs, kind of like the Cronenberg fly or something like that. Yeah. Crawling around on the ceiling and shit. And you're just like blowing her away with like a flamethrower and grenade launcher mm-hmm. because you're a commando at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that whole boss fight is cool. She's creepy as shit. She like shrivels up and dies. Yeah. I, I like it. I just also like she's just a bullet sponge, which is what all the enemies are in this game. Yeah, very true. Like, I really feel like the thing, once again, to reference what we were talking about earlier, the thing that really makes this game feel lopsided is that early on they show you what the whole game could have been. Like, if there was combat only in a nominal way or only as like a token uh, nod to the past, and if it was all about exploration and there weren't real boss fights, there were just kind of like scripted encounters that are really crazy and over the top. Like right. it dangles that in front of you and then it just really viciously yanks it away. And at this point in the game, this is when I figured out on my first playthrough that I was like, okay, so everything is just a bullet sponge and it's just an item checkpoint, which we've also talked about earlier or in an earlier episode that like, I feel like every boss fight and every survival horror game sucks because it's just a checkpoint to see if you collected enough ammo (laughs) or health health packs. Yeah. yeah, It's just an item based checkpoint. It's not like a skill check. It's not really like a big story beat. It's just like, okay, did you collect Mm. this stuff? And that's what I, cause like when I beat her both times, I just use like all my items and I was like, well, okay. Yeah. I guess that's, (laughs) I guess that was the point of that, you know? It's in an arena. The greenhouse is clearly an arena. And there's like tons of weapons and items all over the arena. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they set you up for that. It's just a skill check or item check. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just weird. And, you know, I guess this is a, as good a place as I to talk about that. Like, and we mentioned this in the first episode of the show. I I don't think the combat is good in this game. And it's hard to exactly put my finger on it because it's like, okay, it's first person with aim assist if you want it. It's like, what can go wrong? And there's just something about it that doesn't feel great. Well, it's it's sluggish. The reload is slow without the upgrades. And the bad guys are bullet sponges. And I feel like the combination of the three um, just makes it a, a not great FPS experience. Yeah, that's that's what it is. And especially in the section after this where you're back in the main house but there's more moldeds everywhere and you're like running into rooms full of enemies on occasion, like in the basement, like what am I supposed to get from this? And even if you beat something, there was no real sense of accomplishment. It was just like, Mm -hmm. okay, I guess I did that. Like I shot all the things. Yeah. Yeah. So basically at this point, like you get the last key for the house from the old house. So you go back to the original mansion and you can kind of like finish up all your loose ends from there. And the goal is to get these two key cards to get into like the saw part of the game. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lucas, the son's part. Um, It's actually pretty cool because there's a, uh, you get to go into the master bedroom, uh, Jack's bedroom. Mm -hmm. Of course, granny's there, but you find a secret door under his bed bed that leads to this like gruesome like autopsy scene yeah it's it's like disgusting (laughs) and um you get to go into lucas's room uh and you find out that lucas was kind of like a boy wonder um always doing like robotics competitions and stuff and then you read through a couple notes that um he started getting like sadistic and uh, doing like little traps on his friends and things like that. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think this is where uh, Lucas starts trapping you. He'll he'll do shit like um, like playing like jigsaw games with you. Like right. you actually have to go into the, the basement and like pull the last key out of like the cop's throat. Like the cop from earlier. And this is what leads into the next part of the game, which is all kind of like one long homage to saw. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's basically you're moving through this like building that he built a barn out and he added like all these hallways and shit. Yeah. Inside it looks like an industrial like warehouse. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're, you're in all these like hallways you're moving through and there's like traps everywhere. He's trying to trick you and trap you. Um, there's like a VHS tape that shows you how to solve a a really complicated, weird puzzle you have to do later. Oh, the birthday puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. The birthday. And actually this is funny because, um, it's the same cameraman from the first video. Hmm. But the third VHS tape starts with his hands bound. And yeah. I'm like, how the fuck is he recording with his hands bound? He's still got that thing strapped to his chest, dude. I told you. What the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this section of the game is a very, like, your mileage may vary. Uh, 
I definitely don't like hate it as much as you seem to. <laughs> uh, but I get why you do because it is like kind of goofy and over the top. I think if you really like the movie Saw, like really, really like that movie, you might mm-hmm. like this part of the game. And I think Lucas is a good character. He's totally a spaz and he reminds me of like the speed freak fucking redneck weirdos like I grew up around. Yeah. Well, and and yeah, I think he's an interesting character, but uh, then you meet the real villain of the game, which is Capcom's DLC practices. uh, Because they basically just don't finish his story. Uh, It's cordoned off to a DLC that neither of us have played, of course. He disappears. Oh, okay. That's because I was wondering about that. I was like, what the fuck happened to Lucas? What happened to Lucas is DLC. Uh, Fuck. What's even weirder about this? Okay, so sidebar. Uh, Capcom (laughs) got into real trouble for this with a game called Asura's Wrath. Um where they essentially took out the second to last chapter of the game and made it DLC. Uh, So there's basically just a huge chunk of the story missing. And people were rightfully totally pissed at them about this. And Mm. they eventually had to like apologize. And I think they maybe even like gave it away or something, but they did the same thing with this game, except it's just not, totally crucial to the story it's just that every other main member of the family has a complete storyline like you see it from beginning to end except for lucas like for some reason (laughs) they just thought it was okay to not finish his story and keep it as dlc it's really shitty and guess what i don't give a fuck enough to go play it so yeah no i mean same because it's also like (laughs) uh like I'm interested in the story. I want to see the story that's in the game. Even like, why would I want to beat the whole game and then go back and see how this one plot line ends up? Yeah, so basically you just get to the end of the section and it's like, okay, Lucas has fled and just you just immediately get the second part of this serum. So you whip this serum up and you make uh, two doses of it. And luckily, in the next room, your wife is tied up, and that other girl, Zoe, is tied up too. Uh-huh. So you have two serums and two women to save. Oh, boy. Everything <laughs> is wrapped up tidily. Well, so here's the problem. So like I said earlier, as a positive about this game, it's the first self-aware Resident Evil game. Now, the other side of that is it's the first self-aware Resident Evil game. It's like they looked around and saw like popular design trends of the early 2010s and were like, yeah, Mm -hmm. all right, let's do that. So they shoehorn in this completely idiotic, quote unquote, like moral choice like you'd make in Bioshock or something. And like it has no bearing on the game itself. You basically have to regardless of what you do you see the same shit you just get a couple different dialogue options yeah it was so out of nowhere and so pointless that i actually paused the game and just like looked up what choice you're supposed to make so i was like there's clearly a right choice and like Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure it's just picking your wife but it's like this is so fucking dumb that i'm just gonna look up and make sure because it's like why would this even be in here like, because right. also Zoe's like a super underdeveloped character. 
Yeah, well, okay. So, you've got two serums, you've got two girls, but then Lovecrafty and Jack comes and, like, smashes through. Uh-huh. And you have to do this, un- this like, other, like, boss fight where you use up every single bullet you have to kill Jack Blob right. for the last time. And you end up using one of the serums to kill Jack. It's very ridiculous. And so you're only left with one. And so you can either save, you know, your wife of several years... Or this girl you've talked to on the phone tonight, like, three times. Yeah. Like, why would you... I, I, it's it's just such an asinine choice. Yeah. Know? And like I said, there's no story justification for it. It's, it's like the Lucas thing, where it just feels like at this point in the game, the story just kind of falls apart. Yeah. Uh, it's Here's an idea. Weird. Let Mia really die at the beginning of the game. Or like make the make Mia really dying be a choice, and then you could get to this point. Yeah. Or you know like let Zoe die earlier. I don't know. There's I don't get it. dude. There's all sorts of weird underwritten shit. Okay, so okay, let's talk about this for a second. This is an interesting topic. This is something <laughs> I really want to talk about this whole time. Okay, uh, the writing in this game. What the hell? Okay, it all feels like a big flashback to Resident Evil Four. And if you play Resident Evil Four you know the plot arc of it right it's like you're in this cool creepy village oh now you're like in the lab oh now you're in a castle now there's a tiny napoleon man like what the fuck is going on like the game is just a mess and then right before the end like literally the room before the last boss there's like a document that's like wesker did it and it's like you fucking kidding me wesker did it like this is asinine and that really stuck with me because then you just beat the game and it has like a totally arbitrary ending and you're like I don't know why any of that happened this Mm -hmm. game has the same type of writing where it like has a really strong atmospheric setup and then it just starts piling on other pieces of garbage and then eventually they've got this huge garbage pile and they're like here it is we made you a story and it's like no that's not how you make a story like what happened to Lucas why is our character so deadpan like what where did he think his wife was for three years exactly um yeah why is zoe even really in the mix here like you just talked to her a couple times i guess you owe her on some level but like what is going on things get even further complicated when there's like a weird vision flashback that's like everybody used to be normal like we're just good people and it's like what like the writing and the characterization in this game is just like so weird and stupid i feel like they like remembered that they were making a resident evil game and they were like oh yeah we have to do resident evil well and you know what's funny is that okay i've actually personally never been disappointed that silent hills got canceled because number one i don't trust kojima to make a good silent hill game (laughs) uh number two is that i just feel like a lot of these series you get to a certain point and it's like you either need to just let it go or you need to just keep doing the same thing Mm. like the the parts of this game that are great are when they're like yeah fuck it we don't care this is a resident evil game right and the parts that suck are the ones where it's like, oh, yeah, we have to make the fans happy. Okay, here's this. Or they're like, <laughs> or they remember that it's like a triple A video game that came mm-hmm. out recently. So it's like, yeah, we need a moral choice and we need some first person combat and we need like big boss fights. And it's like, 
why though? Like you guys are clearly so talented at this one thing. Why are you doing this other thing? Anyways, you save Mia and you're boating away and you get knocked off your boat and you get to play as Mia for like two hours. Yeah. And it's not great. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. The first time I played the Mia part on my first playthrough when the game launched, I really fucking hated it. Yeah. Um, Replaying it, I hated it a little less, but I still kind of hated it. Yeah. So the thing about the Mia section is that, all right, plot twist time. (laughs) I guess Mia is like a secret agent. And she was whatever, on. Dude. She was in deep cover or whatever, sleeping in a jail cell in a basement, and so she's actually like a commando. Uh, but it starts with her being disempowered. Um, the part where you're disempowered is weird because it's simple, but some of the solutions to the puzzles are kind of abstract. Like there's one where you have to crawl through a tiny window. That's really hard to see. And that kept me occupied for like at least a half an hour oh my and God. when I first played the game, you know? Yeah. And it really sucked. Cause I just didn't see it. And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. well, okay, there it is. And I was just wandering back and forth, really frustrated. And then when you are being like commando, like you just have a machine gun and you, it's basically the freighter level from Goldeneye on the N64. Basically. And it's just not, good or interesting and then they like it this is when the plot just it's not even like jumping the shark anymore it's just like taking a shit (laughs) i was gonna say like just feeding you bowls of chili that you don't want you know (laughs) where it's just like well here's this Uh, me as a commando oh here's this that creepy little girl is actually an experimental weapon oh here's this that ship actually crashed on their property and it felt like the end of resident evil 4 where you're like i'm ready for the game to wrap up and the game's like well i'm not ready to wrap up and i want to read to you from my novel i'm working on it's called bad cops 4 batterer and batterer (laughs) settle in motherfucker the plot of this game is like like when you take like a really nasty shit and you clog the toilet <laughs> and you flush it and like but it the water doesn't go down <laughs> like it just starts to like slowly rise and then like you see like the emiscus of like the shit water like hit the top of the toilet bowl and then it just starts like spilling all over like all over your like bathroom floor <laughs> you're like scrambling to turn the water off you know that actually <laughs> that happened in our old house our roommate did that to the toilet while us and our guests were trying to prepare to go to a a wedding (laughs) that was brutal like trying to like get ready to go to a wedding and while like cleaning up shitty water and also trying to like not like get the shitty water on you (laughs) it was fucking horrible and that is exactly what this game is like yeah Yeah, so there's like a psychic demon child that like controls this mold stuff yeah and she like makes moldy monsters and she was in a boat that crashed on their property oh yeah and mia was her keeper along with some dude that died yeah that was her secret agent stuff she was doing and she's got a machine gun yeah so yeah, the first half of the boat thing is like a flashback, and then the second half is like present day. 
And I feel like the present day stuff is a little better. Really, yeah. the 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 whole it's a big puzzle around getting the elevator fixed so you can get to the the basement of the boat or whatever it's called. Yeah. Well, and there's you know I guess there's something kind of interesting here in terms of Ethan as a protagonist is very vanilla. He mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot going on anywhere really. Uh, and the one interesting thing about him is that he's just a very powerless sort of schlub. And as the game goes on, he gets more and more powerful, uh, to the point where he can be sort of a bit of a commando. But this part is at least compelling because it's like, Oh, actually he's still a schlub because his wife is a commando. And I guess at least guess. as as an abstract plot point, I respect that. Yeah. Oh, this part gives you like remote detonation bombs too. <laughs> okay, we don't need to talk about that. Do I we? never fucking used that shit as garbage. <laughs> also, I found the gun like super late, so I was like running from all the bad guys for a really long time. It's better. And then when I when I found the gun, I was like mad. I was like, wow, it was just right there the whole time. No, it's better to run. Yeah, so basically, after that, you're at the end of the game, which is the worst part of the game, in my opinion. The story at this point is like, holy shit, I could care less. Yeah, but so this part, you're in a salt mine, and like... Yeah, so how you end up in a salt mine? What the fuck? And like, you end up having to like run through it and fight a lot of monsters, and it just sucks. Like It's commando as fuck, like... Yeah. Enemies are just respawning behind you and shit as you're just running and like grenade launching them. It's supposed to be tense, but it's not. And it just feels like they're in your way, but you can't run past them. Like you have to fight them. And at that point, it's basically just like the game has broken all of its own rules. It's broken like everything that makes a Resident Evil game good. And it's just so dumb. You're literally just doing it to say you beat the game. (laughs) <laughs> it's an action game at this point like a really like clumsy action game yeah like a bad one because here's yeah. the thing man like i really i like the evil within so like you know class houses <laughs> stones etc cetera, etc cetera. but like at least that game is like here's the action it works like this and if you like it you like it here's the horror it works like this if you like you like it this game it's like trying to be an action game at times but the action is really bad and it's like trying to be a horror game and the horror is really good but it like just drops things out of nowhere and it gets really plot heavy at the time when the plot is at its worst yeah okay so speaking of plot you end up in a laboratory in the salt mines and i have so many questions about all this because Apparently, Lucas was working with Umbrella and, like, taking notes on his parents or something. And it turns out, you know, that girl, her name's, like, Eve or Evelyn or something like that. She's living with the family, and she infected the family. And apparently that all happened in the past two years. But what doesn't make sense is, like, the notes you're reading around the house. Like, Lucas was being sadistic towards his friends when he was a kid. But Lucas, like, looks like a full-grown adult. Like, did that happen in the past few years? Like, when did he start working with Umbrella? 
Like, does the rest of the family know that he works with Umbrella? Because there's, like, pictures of, like, Raccoon City in the house. Like, does Jack work for Umbrella, too? What does Jack do for a living? (laughs) Uh, how, How long did it take for Eva to corrupt this family? Like, yeah. Has it really only been three years? There's a lot of questions, and there's no answers. I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, the big one that I had, just from the minute the game started, basically, was like, Okay, you have the disease. Like, you get the thing that they get. Do you? I guess. I mean, to me, it's like, they never say it in the game, but how the fuck else would you survive having so much shit cut off of your own body? Like, the regen- you get your, your, arm, your hand stapled back to your arm, and then you use the magic juice to put your leg back together. <laughs> but it's, it's presented as just, like, being a video gamey thing. Yeah. But then, like, does it work itself into the plot? I don't fucking know. It doesn't really, but I just assumed that you got the disease, like, right away. And then they just never talk about it. But it's like, that would have been such a cool thing to uncover or to discuss in the plot. Was, like, you having the disease, you know? Yeah. yeah. But it, like, never comes up. And, it, and it's sort of like all the supernatural elements of the game are either explained away by, like, that or, like, Evelyn's powers. Mm-hmm. So it's like... I don't know. It's just weird that that isn't really explored at all. It's like she's a weird plot point. She just comes in at the end, Resident Evil 4 document style, and then is just kind of there. And I don't really know what to think of it or what to do with it. It, And she's not scary either, which is weird because usually scary kids are scary, you know? Uh Uh-huh. Like the omen is fucking freaky, but Evelyn is not freaky at all. Yeah. And then, of course, it just turns into the last boss fight from Deadly Premonition basically (laughs) where you just fight a big guy (laughs) yeah well i mean okay so after the lab you end up popping up back in the basement of the guest house Mm -hmm. so the whole game basically loops on itself because you end up where you started um, yeah when you fought mia so you end up in the attic again where you fought Mia for the first time and you end up like battling this giant Lovecraft monster like you do at the end of every Resident Evil game. Right. But it turns out that the little girl was the grandma the whole time. Yeah. What a twist. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently she ages really fast. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it's basically that she is the force that corrupted this family the old lady was the girl blah 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 you fight a worm monster and then chris redfield shows up in an umbrella helicopter and that's the end of the game oh my god people love that shit so gamers love the chris cameo so okay the thing that i thought was kind of cool about the ending was that it's it's like an homage to the ending of the first resident evil where they're flying away on a helicopter right from like a destroyed place and they're just like the story continues right like Mm -hmm. if you're gonna start a new arc which they basically are in the series it's kind of cool to have it mirror the end of the beginning of the original arc you know but having fucking chris redfield show up for two seconds (laughs) in an umbrella helicopter is not how you do it that was just grown worthy to me i was just like Mm. why did they do this when you kill the last boss and while she's melting she screams damn you all to hell 
like Charlton Heston for Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, it's that's hilarious. A, that's a flex. That's what we call a flex. <laughs> they just didn't give a fuck at this point in the game. Yeah, I mean... Like, These gamers will take anything. You know, the thing I keep thinking about with RE7 is, like... I Okay, I liked RE2 Remake a lot. We've spent enough time talking about that. But one thing that I said in the last episode was that it sums up the whole series really nicely. And I guess they were kind of trying to do the same thing with this, right? Like, to me, this feels a lot like The Force Awakens, where, like, they're like, okay, we're going to reboot this long-running franchise. The way we're going to do it is by mirroring the first entry that is like Mm. highly beloved. Yeah. But for some reason it just doesn't, that stuff did not land with me with this game. Well, this game's greatest flaw is that it has to be a resident evil game Mm -hmm. when it's not being resident evil. It's, it's at, it it is at its most successful. Yeah. Well, and I guess that's kind of what I was hinting at earlier when I said that I've never been disappointed that Silent Hills got canceled because Mm. to me, like where the Silent Hill series was going before Konami disbanded Team Silent was that it was going to be a very free form, very loosely defined series of like individual vignettes. And I think that would have been really fucking cool. And when Resident Evil came back and it was sort of hinting at that same thing, I was like, this is so cool. But then the more they tried to mirror the old games, I felt like the worse it got. Like, and it's just like, we've talked about tons of times on the show where it's like, I don't ever need to go to another science basement at the end of a horror game. Like I don't ever (laughs) need to talk about umbrella again. I don't ever need to have this like vast network of lore to try and traverse like I've, I've done it I don't need it and if Resident Evil is going to come back it should just be on its own terms and just say hey this is Resident Evil you know well also don't explain everything or attempt to explain everything yeah sometimes the unknown is scary yeah you know? I guess it's I don't know it, it's a it's a hard thing because the more and more time passes the more you start to look at a series like Resident Evil and you're like, wait, what even is Resident Evil? Like, right. what made the best games in the series good and what makes the worst ones bad? And it's it's weird, and especially in a game like this where there's there's actually open and clear meddling from the publisher to like make the game worse, right? You're just kind of like, well, I guess a Resident Evil game is just the big new horror game from Capcom. So why does it need to have all this lore in it? Why does it need to have all these plot ties and stuff? I'll give Capcom a hint. Um, when people talk about the greatest parts of Resident Evil, they're not talking about the combat. <laughs> ever it's it's a weird thing too though that like the creator shinji mikami or one of the co-creators like clearly loved action movies and clearly wanted to make an action experience but was working with like a format that he couldn't really express that so mm-hmm. if they are trying to make a game like this that is paying homage to the past and is paying respect to that vision you know putting in action is a way to do that but if they were just trying to make something that's really good i feel like that's not really in the mix you know Mm. they should be trying to do is make something scary which resident evil 7 does really really well in the first half yeah 
I think, yeah, like at the risk of it just sounding like we're donkey on this game for the last like hour of this episode. I mean, I do want to go back to the fact that the opening of this game is insanely good. Like, especially you haven't played Outlast 2. Um, Mm. When you play Outlast 2, you see like the weird failed test tube experiment version of that part of this game. Mm. That's what Outlast 2 is. And like the fact that this game nails it so hard and has about the length of like a classic survival horror game. Like there's like four hours of just like gold in this game. I think Yeah, that it's like, why couldn't it have just been that maybe? <laughs> I mean, everything Jack ba- Baker up until his last fight in the chainsaw arena is gold. Um, the Baker mansion and guest house layouts and atmosphere are like absolute gold yeah well and i even like i like the old house i mean i like that if the game had been building towards that or maybe that and like some short section with lucas like i kind of would have been down you know it's just like the more it goes on the more convoluted it gets yeah but i mean it's really interesting to play a game that has these like different like striations it almost feels like different studios made the parts yeah like the animatrix (laughs) (laughs) dude that's my my rating for resident evil 7 is animatrix out of 10 hell yes because you know like Uh, the dude who made cowboy bebop made one of those but you also know that like the people who made like reboot made another one or some shit (laughs) A reboot oh my god i mean reboot slaps but like you know what i'm saying <laughs> yes reboot does slap so does animorphs yeah anyways i would say you know the first half of resident evil 7 is up there with best resident evil game um tied with resident evil 2 remake it's a shame the second of the half the second half of the game doesn't hold up to that yeah um, resident evil 2 remake is still king um this one's hard to really hard to rate yeah um i mean first half is a five star and i mean second half is two to two and a half stars um (laughs) it's weird to come back to because like i said the the big impression i got was that it was like a parlor trick it was like yeah they got us like (laughs) you know the sleight of hand of the opening of this game made us all be like resident evil's back but then like returning to it it's a little bit clunkier than that and it's more complicated than that and i also think too you know going back to the classic structure format of a survival horror game is risky because some of that stuff really hasn't aged well i mean maybe this is a topic for zero brightness plus but like i really think that every almost every horror game is like two to three hours too long and it's because sure. they follow that Resident Evil progression. And it's really apparent in this game where the tone changes so much. Because, mm. like, the old yeah. ones, it changed, but it was still roughly the same game. Like, the game speed couldn't increase. You could put more combat, but the intensity could only go so far because it's still, like, clunky controls, fixed camera angles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in first person, you can... You can end up in a salt mine getting mobbed by goblins, dude. Well, just think of the like, the first time you played this game or the RE7 demo. How, like, at the beginning, you're, like, trying to see in the dark. 
and you're like afraid of shadows and shit. Mm-hmm. And then you know, halfway through the game, you're just a fucking commando with a flamethrower, just like killing anything that moves. Yeah, it's just such a tonal shift. Yeah, for sure. And it's also like what makes the whole VR component kind of weird to me because it's like, yeah, the beginning would be amazing in VR, I'm sure, because it's so atmospheric. But then the end would just be like playing an FPS in VR, and I don't think that's super popular, is it? Like, I think right. people mostly yeah, go know. for the sort of like VR specific, you know, almost like sim type shit. But yeah. the atmosphere at the beginning of this game, just like the guest house. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's palpable. You're like standing in the kitchen and you like see the dust particles in in the sun rays and stuff and I don't know, it's it's just it feels like urbex or something, you know? Oh, totally. Uh, no, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. And it's it's kind of I don't know if this is just plain hilarious or ironic or what, but it's exactly like a lot of those old survival horror games where it's like if you get a wild-haired replay it just replay the first few hours and don't bother finishing it because like you'll just get frustrated yeah make make it to the trailer in the yard and save it and say that's the end (laughs) the (laughs) end yeah Yeah. no i i i agree with that yeah it's complicated i got a couple big cues here okay um where do you think it stands in terms of the best Resident Evil games? I think it's probably just because of the strength of the first one that's second place after RE2 Remake. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about all that. I really like the the original remake. I really like the original 2. Okay, I'll put it in third place. I would yeah. probably put it in fourth. Because I'd probably say original remake, original 2, 2 remake. Uh in this game yeah yeah Something do you like want that. resident evil 8 to be first person or over the shoulder you know after i played this game i would have said first person because i was convinced after playing re2 remake <laughs> i would probably say over the shoulder i mean i won't really have much i won't have a super strong opinion until i play whatever they do next but i think over the shoulder would be my answer right now. Now, I think we've already kind of answered this, but do you does the next Resident Evil game need any ties to Umbrella or of the or the other games? I fucking hope not, man. Just cut it loose, start fresh with the story. Cuz it's also like, all right, they have like the perfect model right now. They can go back and remake old games. And like, mm. dude, they can re-remake the first one, they can remake code veronica they could remake four and just print money for the next 20 years like (laughs) they have so much like crowd pleasing lore heavy you know classic fan baiting shit that they can do that it's like make the new ones just their own fucking thing uh this game was at its best when it had nothing to do with any other resident evil game so yeah well and you know when this game came out the narrative was that like it was very inspired by pt but i actually wish that it was more inspired by like pt and modern you know horror adventure games that don't need to feel the need to explain everything that are very mysterious and atmospheric like i really hope that they do take it more in that direction and make something that has more of that feel resident evil 7 
it's a it's a lot i've been sitting on this for like years now two years now (laughs) yeah well you know it, it like i think i saw it for like five bucks on steam recently and it's i think it's a must buy at five bucks oh for sure i mean yeah. i think it's a must play for anyone who likes horror games especially if you like this series at all like you gotta play it gotta do but i don't know if you need to finish it <laughs> yeah definitely not anyways anyways uh i think it's enough on that subject yeah i think it's time for game club what's cooking what's popping Okay, so next we're doing a special, a very special episode. <laughs> we're doing the uh, Game of the Year edition of Devotion. <laughs> uh, so this is a stupid joke that I came up with. Uh, the title is, but we realized that in the Red Candle Games episode, we didn't really talk about Devotion much because we didn't want to spoil it for people. But now that you have Because we to, thought it was going to come out. We thought it was going to come out, but... Uh, God had other plans, and so uh, <laughs> now we're gonna do our totally spoilery, in-depth rundown of the game. Rock and roll! It's gonna be cool. Find a copy. Find a copy. Um, yeah, we're gonna do that. Maybe we can help you out if you don't tell anyone you got it from us. Uh, <laughs> and then after that, we're doing a twofer, right? Mm. Double header. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing paratropic and paratropic paratropic yeah i don't know uh that old chestnut uh it's not an old chestnut it's a relatively new indie game and we're also (laughs) doing a game called claire which is sort of like Mm. a jankier version of lone survivor i guess (laughs) yes uh these are these are two games that are likely to be chilling in your steam library right now so you should probably play them with us I guess that'll be Indie Horror Rodeo 3. Uh, you don't <laughs> guess. You know. 